0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we wrap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns, to tell you about Organifi Green Superfood Powder. This is a great-tasting green powder. It's amazing, but true. Mix it in water, and it's delicious. So you'll use it every single day to get a nice dose of greens, especially if you're traveling, especially if you're trying to go keto and you're not eating that many carbs. This is a great way to ensure that you get all the nutritious benefits in a variety of fruits and vegetables. Mix it in your smoothie. I mix it with my ketone supplement. So even when I'm not eating, I get my greens every single day. Why don't you try some? Go over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, and enter the code PRIMAL at checkout and you will get 15% off your first order. Enjoy! Welcome listeners, I'm here with my sidekick, Dr. Lindsay Taylor, a double hosting experience and guess what we have on the line, our favorite guest, we caught up with him, even though he's homeless and traveling the world, we still caught up with him, it's Dr. <laughs> Phil Maffetone, thanks for joining us again, our favorite recurring guest, one of our favorites, Andrew McNaughton being the other, on the Primal Endurance Podcast.
1: <laughs> hey Brad, so so. Good to, to hear from you. And thanks for having me on. And, and Lindsay, what a pleasure. Uh, I, I, I can't think of a better um, uh, morning event to have my fat burning coffee with than, than Brad and Lindsay. So thank you.
2: Thank you. I actually was thinking about you the other day because I tried adding an egg yolk to my coffee for the first time, which is something I learned from you. And it was surprisingly delicious. I wasn't sure about it, I have to admit. Oh, it's, isn't so good. it's,
1: it's amazing. The key is to, to blend it up, of course. Um but I use a, a whole egg now because uh uh because I do. Uh it makes it a little <laughs> it kind of makes it like a cappuccino. Really? And, and I use the full, you know, it's the full uh the full fat burning recipe. So it's a whole egg, it's the 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 whole fat cocoa course, unsweetened uh, coconut oil and heavy cream that I get from uh, when I'm near a local farm, uh, uh, I get this really wonderful heavy cream. And it's a really, well, it's it's amazing.
0: Okay, first question then, because we're (laughs) also hearing about the benefits of fasting and a true fast, not consuming any calories for a sustained period, and then you promote uh, ketone production and get all these benefits of autophagy apoptosis so um how do you um compare and contrast waking up and hitting some fat calories right away versus let's say the um recommended strategy of a compressed eating window and waiting till noon to get your first meal
1: yeah i don't know who recommends that but um it doesn't work for me it doesn't work for i would say most people um I I used fasting when I first got into practice because I had personal experience from it. It was a, a wonderful experience for me. I did two weeks of, uh, of only water, which is what fasting is.
0: Oh, uh, could you repeat that, Phil? Because I hear people saying fasting all the time. It's actually just water. That's the only thing allowed in a true fasting.
1: That's what fasting is. Uh, if, if you do a juice fast, you're consuming nutrients and you're uh, you're, you're producing insulin, your gut's working, your metabolism is, uh, functioning as if you were eating a regular meal. You basically are eating a regular meal. Um, so fasting is, is, is not eating anything except consuming water. Um, and there's, you know, fasting has so many different, um, definitions and it's gotten confusing. And when people mention it there's just too much miscommunication. Um, the idea of intermittent fasting is really supposed to be that, well, we go to bed, um, say, at 10 o'clock. Uh, we, we stop um, eating food uh, after dinner, say, 6 o'clock or, or maybe 7 o'clock. And so then we wake up at 5 o'clock. We obviously haven't eaten for a while. Uh, so that's that's a, a fast of sorts, and And breaking that fast is called breakfast. Um, but if we, if we just consume water in the morning for a few more hours, then we extend that fast. They refer to that as intermittent fasting. But you know the the average person today who's under a huge amount of stress, who doesn't eat right to begin with uh, when they do consume uh, their meals. Um uh just just cannot tolerate stress. And as a result, stress does them or sorry, fasting does them more harm than good because uh it becomes just another stress from a metabolic standpoint. So um, you know, the fasting thing is really trendy. It has come and gone. I've seen I've seen that trend come and go so many times in my career. And, um, and it's back now. And every time it comes back, there's different words and terminologies and, and confusion, and um, it'll disappear soon. But uh, the fact is we, we do fast over through the night, um, uh, which we should. Um, people who snack late in the evening, that's a problem. People who get up at night and raid the refrigerator, that's a, a bigger problem. Uh, for one thing, they're waking up, which is a problem, and two they're eating uh, in the middle of the night, which is not what their body wants um, and so, basically, what I learned by recommending fasting to patients in practice not not a lot i didn't it wasn't a common uh, tool that I use, a therapeutic tool, but there were times when I would recommend it, and um even even uh, selecting uh, the the you know matching the fast to the patient who I thought needed it brought back um, kind of so so results. Uh, sometimes it was it was very very helpful, and other times it was not. So um, it it was really disappointing. And I I settled on the fact that you know fasting is something we should do from evening until we wake up in the morning.
0: And what are the metabolic stresses of fasting if you're waking up and getting into your busy life, as you described?
1: Um, For one thing, many people are are stressed. They wake up stressed. Um, They wake up, and the the first word uh, in some cases out of their mouth is a profanity. Um, You know, oh, man, is it morning already? Um, You know, we should wake up refreshed and energized and our brain should be, um, passionate about what we're going to do next. Um, you know, when I, when I wake up, uh, I'm laying there and my brain is starting to turn on and I'm thinking about all these projects I have. And, uh, of course I think about making my fat burning coffee. That's a, a big, uh, a reason to get out of bed, but but you know people don't people don't have good quality sleep. People are stressed when they get into bed. Sometimes have a hard time falling asleep. Often wake up in the middle of the night because of stress. And in the morning, when they wake up, um, they're stressed. And as a result of that stress, their blood sugar is not stable. And the thing they need uh, most in in many cases is a meal to stabilize their blood sugar and, and, and get their fat burning turned on. And, and uh, of course, if they eat a meal of junk food, uh, the fat burning is stressed, so that becomes a problem. And that's the vicious cycle that, that people have.
2: Well, so, though, I mean, we know, obviously, that with the endurance athletes, getting up and heading out for your run fast, it is the biggest thing right now, right that so many endurance athletes are doing most if not all of their morning exercise completely fasted um, so that sounds like that's something that you would not recommend on a regular basis on an occasional basis what's your thought about that
1: well i would I would recommend it for some people uh, and generally those those athletes who can um, tolerate that and benefit from it are younger uh, less stressed. People who are more insulin sensitive, and um, they can wake up in the morning, and not eat, and their metabolism turns on perfectly fine because they're relatively healthy uh, uh, or healthier, um, and and they can go for a you know an hour uh, workout, ninety minute workout, and, and uh, increase fat burning. From, the, from an aerobic workout, and benefit from it. But can the average endurance athlete do that? Absolutely not. It, it just doesn't work uh, for, for most people, especially as you get um, out of your 20s into your 30s. Uh, we become more insulin resistant. Uh, we've usually gotten into uh, life, and it stresses by that. Point in time, and and um, quite often have to make adaptations. And I remember, uh, you know, back in the day, days when I competed, uh, waking up and and the the best thing for me was going for a run uh, first thing in the morning, and it felt great. Just uh, having a, a little bit of water and uh, and no food at all. And as the years went by, I realized that uh, this. This is not um not as effective. I noticed that my heart rate got higher toward the end of my run when I didn't have breakfast um, You know we always have to deal with the issue of well, if we do eat you know what's it gonna be like to have a workout with food in our stomach well it it means we need to take time between our breakfast and our workout, and that throws. Throws uh, the schedule off for many people, so it means changing uh, our schedules quite often to adapt to um, our body's needs. Well,
2: I'm really interested to hear you talk about this because one of the things I'm seeing a lot, like in the on you know the forums and the Facebook groups, you know where we are trying to help people become fat adapted, and you know people are adopting these low carb, high fat diets, and they're finding that they are more able to get up and work out faster, and then they're not as hungry. But there's this, it's kind of gotten taken to an extreme where people are saying, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to eat. You'll never get hungry. You shouldn't have to eat. You should be able to go for three, four, five hours at math heart rates on just water and come home and like, you know, take a shower and then eventually find yourself eating again, you know, hours later. And I've just never I'm not a big fan of dictating to everybody who's hitting the trail that you know, if they get hungry after an hour, an hour and a half, that they're doing something wrong.
1: Yeah. You know, this is not a religion. And that's what people do. They they make things a religion. And it's like, okay, here's what you should do. Here's what you should not do. It's black and white, good and evil. There's no question. you know, we're right. Here's what you do. It, it doesn't work that way. What's right is finding what you need to do for your body and your body's always changing and you need to keep up with those changes. Um, sure, if you're uh, a good fat burner, uh, which is what they mean when they say fat adapted, then you could you can go hours out there on the trail or on the road on your bike without consuming anything, uh, sometimes not even water, but because your water regulation is much improved now. But but you know, consuming water uh, as the only uh, nutrient uh, should be done. If you can't go more than two or three hours, then you're not burning enough fat. Even even the leanest of us has a, a huge fat store uh, for that for that energy. So, um, and I I notice it. Um, it's it's been really busy for me. Uh, not. Not only with travel, but with um, interviews, because of the the research uh, papers that I've been been publishing, they they seem to be coming all at once. And I'll often have you know a whole morning or a whole afternoon or a whole day of of interviews. And uh, I find that if I skip my lunch, you know it's four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I'm I'm perfectly fine. Uh, when I was younger, that was not a good thing to do um, because I was not as uh, adapted to, to fat-burning because of the health problems that I had. So, um, yeah, we should be, we should be energized uh, as soon as we wake up. We should stay energized. We shouldn't need to eat uh, or drink nutrient other than water on a long, a long workout. And in the course of a day, if we if we don't get to our lunch right at 12 o'clock, we shouldn't start shaking because our blood sugar is low. Uh, um, and th- those things are still happening to a lot of people.
0: Um, but if they're not happening and you're reporting that you're going out there in the morning, you're doing a workout, you feel fine in a fasted state, and then you're um, trying to get uh, on this fad train and, and enjoy the benefits of fasting, the touted benefits, um, how do you know you know, where that point is where you're possibly, uh, stressing yourself and is the stress, the gluconeogenesis happening in response to the workout demand without calories or what's the, you know, where's the point where the person can reason and say, oh, I, I better, uh, purposely consume a high fat coffee or some other calories in the morning, because this is, uh, this is helping me, uh, perform and recover better and and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. It depends on the person, and there are signs and symptoms uh for example if if you're if you're feeling hungry, I mean it doesn't get any easier than that. If you're feeling hungry um and you're eating a healthy diet, then you're not eating frequently enough or you're not eating enough food when you do eat um and so if you get up in the morning, you drink some water, you go out for a five hour bike ride, and you're you're hungry by four hours or you're you're on your way back home and you're you're just ravenous uh, that's a problem uh if you monitor your heart rate for example and you notice that um, uh the 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 latter part of your workout you're fatiguing too quickly which is going to be seen as a rising heart rate and if you're going uh if your your pace or your your power or speed is based on heart rate, you find that uh your you're uh running slower riding slower your power output has reduced a lot um that's an indication of fatigue and typically it's due to a a lack of of nutrient um and so you need to experiment okay now you've got a baseline of here's what happens in my once a week, five hour bike ride, or my once a week, two hour run, um, when I'm fasted, uh, I'm going to try, uh, uh, having some fat burning coffee, uh, on, on some of those, some of those workouts. So I'm going to try, uh, doing those workouts on on a Sunday when I'm not working, but I'm going to have breakfast and I'm going to wait, uh, to two or three hours, and then I'm going to do my work. So experimentation, uh, if, if you're not hit with the obvious signs and symptoms about what you should do, experimenting is, is a very good idea.
2: What I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, like I went out this weekend, I did my 10-mile run on Saturday, and by mile four, I was pretty hungry, but I also didn't have any food with me, so I just powered through, and that was fine. But, um, you know, a lot of people would kind of Take that as a sign that they're not well fat adapted, but really it could just be that you know, for the two or three days before, I just didn't really eat enough calories, or I should have eaten breakfast that morning. And so maybe we need to start thinking more globally about our diets instead of getting really honed in on this: am I fat adapted? Am I not fat adapted? That there's a lot of factors that go into how and when and how much we eat that can affect our exercise, you know, our training. That aren't just, you know, like these big warning signs, like, oh, I'm not fat adapted yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better. You're exactly right. We're always given clues. The brain is always telling us what to do via signs and symptoms and and other other indications. And if you want to know the best training schedule and the best way to eat the best foods and so forth, listen to your brain. You know, I, I mean, I hear about people who uh, listen to podcasts, uh, listen to to music. I hate to tell them not to listen to my music during their workout, but I I want them to listen to their bodies. Um, our bodies, you know, our brain is this amazing um, thing that that really guides us uh, in a very accurate and, and precise way Um and we we need to listen and um so yeah if you if you get hungry um you, you have to get back home so you maybe you, you slow down your pace a little bit so that you reduce your stress um but it becomes a a learning experience and we need to follow those experiences rather than blindly follow some trendy thing or some diet or some workout schedule you know here's here's how you run a marathon you uh this week you run this many miles and uh you, your long run is that and blah 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 what a bunch of crap that is and it, it hurts a lot of people
0: well here's one thing that's coming up with the booming popularity of keto and one of the touted benefits is that your hunger is managed. You're hardly ever hungry because you're suppressing your insulin so well and getting all these benefits, including getting rid of that excess body fat. Um, so what if you're in this position where, and this uh, Dr. Tommy Wood doing the Nurse Balance Thrive consult that I did with him, one of the things he identified with me was, um, you probably should eat more calories uh, and, and, and it's difficult to, um, for me to intuit that because I'm not hungry. But maybe I'm complaining about, uh, I wish I could recover better or whatever. The, the athlete always wants higher peak performance. So now we're talking about weighing the, you know, the intuition is fine. I can go do a fasted workout. I feel fine. I'm not hungry. Um, but is there is there a way to access a higher level of performance by strategically putting in um, that morning that morning meal instead of a extended fast, for example.
1: Yeah, we're we're not we're not suppressing insulin. We're we're um, we're regulating our metabolism, and that means we don't need as much insulin production because we're not consuming a lot of high glycemic carbohydrates or a lot of carbohydrates. Period, uh, and we're not overeating protein, which can uh through their uh glucogenic amino acids can convert to to sugar um so we're regulating our metabolism um and the hunger issue is interesting because um we've we've heard about the fat adaptation process which can take uh, you know, depending two to four weeks, uh, it could take two to four months in reality. It could take a lot longer than that in reality. It depends on the person. Um, but one of the things that happens is,
0: Oh, I thought it, I thought it took three weeks for everyone, Phil. Uh That's what I hear on some podcasts that I, that I do when I'm running.
2: (laughs) I heard two Um, actually
1: Two. Yeah. Two is, two has been popular. Um, uh, and and so you know, our one of the things that happens is uh, the hunger disappears, or our hunger is certainly reduced very quickly in the two week test, which you're familiar with. the uh, The hunger uh, will often disappear by the by the end of the the two week period, which is a a, a very good sign uh, or symptom of um, success. Um, but what what happens is as we start burning more fat for energy, we burn more fat, of course, during the workout, but we also burn more fat when we're sleeping. We burn more fat when we're doing a podcast, when we're sitting quietly, uh, checking our, our, it's not stressful. We're burning more fat across the board over 24 hours. Um, And so, in a sense, our energy needs go down and as a result, many people who naturally follow through with this process end up consuming less calories. And that that process can result in 10, 15, 20, 25% less calories, 30% less calories. Um, and I talked to Tim Noakes about this, and uh, when he went through this process a few years ago, uh, he uh, – I, now I don't remember what it was—a twenty percent or 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 something—that he reduced his caloric intake. Um, and I, when I was uh, on that uh, on that line of being in ketosis, um, and sometimes slightly on the other side, I noticed when I was in ketosis, I would consume less because my consumption was based on what my brain wanted. And as I was in ketosis more and more, um, sure, I'm I'm probably 25 percent less calories than I was, uh, say, 10 years ago, and I have the same level of of physical activity uh, now than I than I do back then. Um, but you know, we're still always changing, so you better keep paying attention to what your brain says. In in my, my case, just recently. I just felt like, um, you know, maybe I wasn't eating enough protein. Maybe I've come down in calories and that's, of course, lowered my protein intake and maybe I need more protein and blah, blah, blah. And I experimented a little bit and took a few weeks and probably ended up consuming 25 grams more protein a day. And I clearly felt better as a result of it. So, you know, we just have to. We have to follow our individualized needs. Everybody's different. And um, um, I think we need to be careful about following anyone's recommendations uh, other than figure out what works for you.
2: It seems like that would go doubly for endurance athletes whose training schedules change throughout the year and their volume goes up and down and then they're adding periods of intensity and trying to do it all on the same absolute you know, carbs, fat, Uh, protein macros, regardless of their, regardless of their, uh, of their training. And that just doesn't seem to work for people. And that's when you see people kind of crashing out.
1: Following the herd is, is dangerous. Following diets is dangerous. Um, You know, following the, the running magazine uh, cover story, you know, run your best marathon in six weeks. Here's the program. I mean, those are dangerous things. Uh, We need to be our Ourselves and um, our needs are unique, and our needs are changing uh, all the time. Uh, certainly with age, uh, certainly with the seasons, uh, and certainly with the physical activities that we we do. And if we're we're an endurance athletes, and an endurance athlete, we have we have race seasons and so on and so forth. So there's there's a lot of things for your brain to consider. And um, that's what we need to pay attention to.
0: If someone is sitting here with their primary concern being that they're carrying excess body fat, is there a more direct decision-making process or a, a more narrow path to head down, such as uh, reduce carbohydrate intake, and until you're you're at your ideal body composition? Um, or do we still have these various intuitive strategies, like maybe they should consume extra calories or get that morning fat going because it might enhance their fat burning and lead to a net overall benefit when they're talking about that that primary goal?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, if if there's too much body fat, um, and we can talk about how to how to evaluate that, but most people know when they have too much body fat, although. Uh, too many people are obsessed about body fat, and we can we can have too little body fat and that becomes dangerous but if there's too much body fat, that in itself is a is a red flag that we're not eating right in most cases. Um, excess body fat is usually the result of a poor diet, and it's usually the result of too much carbohydrate um, There are exceptions, but that's that's the best place to start because if you play the odds, you're eating too much carbohydrate, most likely uh, the place to start is get get rid of the junk food. Get rid of the, uh, the processed carbohydrates because that's the worst thing. And with athletes, what we tend to see more is a person who is not overweight, obviously not obese, but they're over fat. And in many cases, that excess body fat is, is in the belly, um, which is actually the worst kind of uh, excess body fat to have because it affects metabolism. It affects our health more than when fat is stored elsewhere. Um, but when we see that, um, it, it's a red flag, and we need to not look at how many calories we're expending during our workout how many, uh, you know, what is our energy expenditure during the day? We need to look at what are we taking in, what's increasing our insulin, why is so much fat being stored, and why isn't the fat that is stored being used for energy during, uh, during the day and, and during the workout? We expend more of that fat during the day than during a workout, even for a, an ultra-athlete. Uh, uh, the 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 calories we expend the fat we burn during a workout is relatively minor compared to all that fat we we burn in the course of the rest of the day and night so um that's what metabolism is it it, it takes care of all that and when you see excess fat you know that your metabolism isn't isn't working right
2: so probably be a good time Phil, to mention your new book if you would like to put in a plug for the overfat Pandemic, which is Phil's new book, um, which is a great resource for talking about all these things, and it talks about the two-week tests and the things that you can do to assess kind of where you are metabolically right now, and then some steps moving forward.
1: Yeah, the book um, comes out. I, the book is out. Um, I, from what I understand, um, you can order...
2: I think it's out tomorrow. Actually, when we tape, so by the time this podcast,
1: comes yeah, out, so yes, tomorrow, out. tomorrow is actually yesterday. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. um, So I've used the term over fat my whole career. Um, I I remember uh, seeing the term in a medical journal in the 70s, and I thought, this is what I'm seeing, Uh, because I was starting to uh, see patients who were exercising. I was starting to see athletes, and some of them had more body fat than they they should have although they were their weight was according to the charts their weight was normal um and that was the beginning of this uh uh, over fat pandemic which has exploded in the last 40 years and um a few years ago i was uh and I've always written articles about this. Uh, people who have been to my site know there's a section called the Fat-Burning Journal, uh, which talks a lot about um, the overfat problem uh, and how it's different than being overweight and how it affects uh, running economy, for example, which is very important uh, for athletes. Um, and a few years ago, uh, I just finally got around to writing a uh, scientific article uh with uh, a a couple of colleagues and it was it was uh, on defining overfat and underfat um, and i had since uh published another one on the overfat prevalence in developed countries and i'm in the middle of uh, awaiting word now from a journal about a new study on uh overfat in the US showing that 91% of Americans uh, uh adults are are overfat um and then at some point just thought hey uh, you know all this stuff should be put in a book uh i keep saying i'm going to write one last book and this is my most recent one last book uh it's called the overfat pandemic and it it kind of sums up the whole overfat thing and it's not just for people who are uh obese that's what everybody thinks when you when you mention that word overfat but like like we talked earlier there's a lot of athletes who are overfat if you look at the studies of active military people who work out generally as much if not a lot more than than your average endurance athlete um the rates of overfat are, are basically as high as the general population. Um, and, you know, they, they talk about, uh, um, the overfat epidemic or the, the, the obesity epidemic, and it's become so casual, you know, uh, we have a, we have an obesity epidemic, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, it's become so popular that nobody pays attention to it. And the fact is that if 91% of the population in the U.S., the adults, are overfat, we've got a problem because the overfat condition is a big step toward chronic disease. Uh, Most of the diseases that we die of are are these these, um, preventable diseases that begin with uh, insulin resistance, Uh, chronic inflammation, and excess body fat. That's a big, vicious cycle in itself. And then the downstream problems are uh, cholesterol problems, triglyceride problems, blood sugar problems, blood pressure problems, um, arthritis, gout, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cancer... Uh, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's. I can go on and on, but it's obviously a serious problem. And so the book is really uh, here's the problem, here's how severe it is, here's what you as an individual can do about it. It's always uh, um, my focus is always on here uh, is what the individual can do, here's how you can resolve this problem because the government's not going to do it. In fact, the government uh encourages people to to buy and consume junk food uh the insurance companies and the healthcare industry as a whole is not going to uh do anything because they're benefiting from it uh if you look at the wall street um, uh if you look at you know the 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 stocks of the companies that are healthcare companies they're booming this is a huge money-making deal for 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 a a good number of people um and so you know why does why why does a big sector of the country wanna of the world want to get rid of the over fat pandemic well they don't they're making a lot of money on it so it's up to the individual and that's what the book is about
0: uh so back to uh, we all have that goal of, of avoiding that 91% group and I guess being in the in the magical nine where we're maintaining ideal body composition. Um, and we didn't really talk about the role of nutritious carbs and the, um, the proper variation, especially for an endurance athlete. But um, I noticed you said that you have your high-fat coffee drink in the morning, um, and I think strategically not introducing carbs, even nutritious ones at that time. So can you talk about what the uh the ideal positioning of obviously nutritious carbs only no no call for ever consuming refined carbs but where do those carbs uh fit into the picture particularly if you are concerned with excess body fat and maybe you're maybe you're one of those overfat people even though you're a fitness enthusiast
1: yeah the the natural carbs which would be fruits and um uh winter squash and lentils and beans those um, have a place uh, in our diets. How much of that carbohydrate we can consume depends on our insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity, uh, which is not just how much insulin we produce, but how well our muscles respond to that insulin, how, how well the muscles can take in that insulin, which is carrying glucose into the muscle. And, um, like, like I said earlier, that uh, process of insulin sensitivity changes from an early age. Unfortunately, today, uh, if we're born to someone who is overfat, we're probably overfat at birth. And if we're not, if we're given sugar, water, and um, junk food as our first foods, uh, then. Will become over fat, our metabolism will will immediately become over fat, and we will physically become over fat infants, um, which will have a huge impact on our uh, development, our neurological development. Uh, um, and so, you know, so as we age, and then, and then, of course, today, as as uh, people listening to this podcast, how much carbohydrate can we eat? It depends on. Your needs, and I I developed uh, the two week test many, many years ago because it was a way to help people figure that out. Um, What I did in the beginning was I would start at at a high level after getting rid of junk food, and I'd say, Okay, you're eating uh, all this whole grain stuff, you're eating these beans, and uh, lentils, and fruits, Uh, you're still having signs and symptoms, let's uh, start reducing those carbohydrates a little bit and see how you do. And I quickly learned that that was really difficult. And and what I wanted to do was give people the chance to feel what it was like to have a lot less of those carbohydrates. I'd rather undershoot than overshoot it. So the two-week test was born. And what that is, the two-week test, is a period of two weeks where you you uh, reduce your carbohydrates to very low levels. Um, you get rid of all concentrated natural carbohydrates uh, and, of course, all junk food. But you, you go for a period of two weeks without all that, and you monitor your signs and symptoms. Uh, you monitor hunger. You, you monitor—it's the only time—one of the only times I want people to to check their weight before and after— uh, you you monitor your blood pressure if you tend to have higher blood pressure. Uh, you monitor your heart rate uh, during training, and you see you compare what what you were like before the two weeks to what you're like at the end of that two week period, not having carbohydrates. And many people find that they're they're a new person after two weeks. Maybe they've lost four pounds. Uh, Maybe their hunger has gone away. Maybe they now sleep through the night, which they weren't doing. Maybe um, they don't get moody. They're not depressed. Uh, Their blood pressure has normalized, et cetera, et cetera. All kinds of interesting things can happen. And then the important step is the next one, which is now you start adding some of those natural carbohydrates back into your diet. Every other meal because insulin responds to not just the meal you're eating but the previous meal it's called the two meal effect um and, and so every other meal you have some carbohydrates so maybe at lunch uh you uh you have your lunch and then you have an apple for dessert and then uh next morning for breakfast you have um some uh real uh oatmeal which takes 45 minutes to cook uh and and as you add that carbohydrate back into your diet, you pay attention to see if any of those signs and symptoms that had gone away over the two-week test period, if they're starting to come back, if you all of a sudden gain those four pounds back, or you're starting to get hungry again all of a sudden, then you know you've exceeded your tolerance of natural carbohydrates, and you need to come back a step and Chances are that's exactly where you need to be. It's not that hard to do.
2: But for people who find that they are, you know, pretty well insulin sensitive and they aren't having tons of signs and symptoms, you know, they, you know, let's say they do, they add back that apple and they feel great. They feel the same. Maybe they even feel a little bit better. I mean, you don't see any kind of inherent reason to then stay ultra low carb all the time for those people.
1: Yeah, I agree. You're, you're, you're finding your level of tolerance and, and there's nothing wrong with eating fruit and lentils and beans and you know the the sweet potatoes and the real whole grain, not the, not the processed phony whole grain, which is mostly what you see out there. Um, and so uh, unlike what, what you hear about what I recommend about the math method, about me. Uh, it's not a religion. I'm not a no carb person. I'm not a trained, slow person. And uh, you know, don't ever do intervals. I do intervals myself. Um, so it's all about you. It's all about figuring out what works. And if you're insulin sensitive, uh, by all means, you should be eating these natural carbohydrates because your body needs them.
0: And uh, you personally, though, Phil, you you told me. Um, as we age, we get more we get less insulin sensitive, and so you found over time that you've landed on a uh, fewer carbohydrate daily intake on average, and that works better for you
1: personally. Yeah, I, I could I could you know draw a a, a a line from when I you know at eighteen years of age when I realized that my entire life has been. Uh, eating junk food only, uh, um, and I needed to change that. Um, my my life has been figuring out this individual issue, and for me, it was a line that went, you know, down on this you know forty five degree slope, forty five degree angle to today, where as the years went by, I would just consume less and less carbohydrate because uh, for various reasons, I I would, um, for example, notice that I was starting to get more hungry than, than usual. And I thought, well, gee, maybe I'm, am I eating more carbohydrates than I normally eat? Well, not really. Oh, maybe I should be eating less. And I would experiment by eating less and my hunger would go away. And okay, now I'm at that level. And so, um, humans have have always done that. You know, our ancestors did that for millions of years. So uh, today, that natural process is is interfered with by um, diets, by advertisers, um, by trends that that, uh, come and go. You know, you should eat uh, 12 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram if you're an athlete. You know, I mean, what a... How do they know that? Um, it, it, it not only doesn't work, but most people don't follow that anyway. Um, the studies show that um, that athletes consume a lot less carbohydrate than is recommended to athletes um, because they're just naturally eating and they're not following any, any particular routine and their natural consumption is... Um, a lot lower than is, than is recommended, but, but it's, it's, it's individualization. So yeah, you're right, Brad, that was, that was my, um, my experiment of one over my adult uh, lifetime. And it's worked out rather well. I would, I would often get in a bind where I would just say, Oh, you mean I've got to cut my fruit intake down more? And you know, I would I would kind of drift into this brief period of denial, and then I'd say, "Oh, okay," and and feel much better as a result of of making the the change that that uh, was apparently appropriate. So, um, and people who have gotten into this style of eating and exercise and overall lifestyle, which there are many. Um, then you you've experienced it. um, it's it's uh, it it's really a a wonderful journey.
0: Speaking of the journey, uh, and before we wrap up, I want to hit you with a couple uh, more fitness questions since we've been talking so much about diet. Um, and one of them is if you're if you're getting up there in age and you've been an enthusiast for a long time, and uh, you're at this point where, you no longer have that that rabid uh, competitive intensity and these defined competitive goals. What would you think would be the best type of training regimen for someone who's mainly concerned with longevity, disease protection, more energetic function in, in daily life, as opposed to wanting desperately to finish their 17th Ironman before they retire or things of that nature?
1: <laughs> At any cost. Um, yeah, good question. I think one of the one of the important things that we need to look at is the fact that athletes can be set sedentary. And w- when you say that, people get confused. Uh some people get mad. You know, people get mad at me for saying things like that. Um but if you if you measure the energy expenditure um of, of some people who put in a lot of exercise time, uh you find that that it's not as high as you might think because, like I said earlier, we expend a lot more energy when we're not exercising in the course of, of 24 hours. So uh, we need to look at, at our day. What, what happens uh, after we wake up? What are we doing? Are we sitting down and eating breakfast? Are we then getting up and getting in our car for a commute or getting in our car to go to the train station to commute? To work and then going in, sitting at our desk, and then doing the opposite in the morning, and and sitting on the couch for two, three hours to watch TV at night. That's um, being sedentary. We need to change that. And even even the idea of having um, a standing workstation. Uh, the only time that works is when we move enough. If we just stand in one place and work at a standing workstation. We're expending not much different energy than when we're sitting um so we need to sit and stand and sit and stand, or we need to stand and then take a couple of steps when we're thinking about you know what's this word i'm looking for in this sentence. I do a lot of pacing, and so um my my work day when i'm when I'm writing is um, that sitting and standing back and forth, there, there there's just certain things that when I when I'm writing certain topics or trying to explain something, I have to be sitting. And maybe Lindsay, you can tell me why. But it, there's something about the brain um, uh, that 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 makes me sit. And but when I'm standing, I will often pace. And if I get a phone call, I will often. Pace, And I'll pace, I'll go outside and pace around the house, I'll go into the desert and pace. um, And that's being active. And we need to have an active life. um, Because that's very, very important. So if we're not competing, we may not be putting in as many hours or the, the higher intensity training that we put in when we were competing. Well, we we still want to work out we want to be active and if you if you don't have a big garden if you're not building stone walls um you still need to be active doing do different things and that includes uh this thing called exercise and it's one big package and it's a very very important thing to do as we age because um as we know Brad we we lose some of our um some of our features, we were not as fast. Uh, we, we can sure build a lot of good endurance, but we're, we're, you know, we're not, we're not, um, we're not those speedsters we were when we were young, but we can still be healthy and fit. And that's a, that's a very important goal to have.
0: Yeah. I've read about those concepts before. I've, I've never really quite experienced (laughs) that. I'm still equally fast, powerful (laughs) with tremendous endurance and performance capabilities, but Maybe you're right. I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: A lot of people actually get get faster with age. They get faster in their 50s, 60s, and 70s because when they were in their 20s and 30s, they were not active and they were not racing. So they don't have that uh, speedy period to compare to. So depending on when you start – and a lot of people start working out and and competing when they are in their 30s and 40s, which is really great – and so they will progress well into their 50s and 60s and sometimes 70s, uh, which is really wonderful to see.
2: So that's me, Phil. So what you're saying is that in 20 years, I'm going to be much faster than I am now since I started when I was
1: 31? Um, that's quite possible. You're, this is a,
2: you're, making, you're making a promise, I'm, I'm, right?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm promising that the endurance part of our bodies function better with age because, look, we're, we're using Using such um, a smaller amount of our VO two max in an Ironman, for example, in your case, seventy percent VO two max. So those fast twitch fibers that we we lose that neurological, neuromuscular mechanism that we have um, that fades away after um, really beginning with you know age twenty one or low twenties. We don't need a lot of that uh, later in life to do an Ironman race or an ultra, an ultra marathon. So yes, I'm, I'm, um, encouraging you to, um, think that way because it's, it's quite real. Phil,
0: that was a great show. I have such a wide ranging and fascinating conversation hitting on so many points. We want to do a, um, a rapid fire Q and a show with you for a whole separate edition with a different flavor. But this one, I especially love that you wrote that, that, that one last book, the overfat pandemic, which is now available. I think it's uh, everyone's obligation to check that out. Since this stat, 91% covers a lot of book readers and possible listeners to the show.
1: And did we mention that Lindsay wrote the forward for that?
0: Oh, it's I how did. can you beat that? <laughs> how can you beat that? The overfat pandemic.
1: And thank you, Lindsay. That was a great forward, by the way.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. It was an honor.
0: Listeners, thank you for being with Dr. Lindsay Taylor and Dr. Phil Maffatone. Check out The Overfat Pandemic and also philmaffetone.com for all those great articles, some of which he mentioned on the show and many more. Have a great day. This is your host, Brad Kearns. <laughs> Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos and other multimedia educational material, audio, ebooks, all accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. Get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation. It's over 120 videos many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit.